Hey guys, welcome to Between the Pints. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. Red Rover, Red Rover, send free beer all over. I'm joined, as always, by my uh, co-host and the new husband. That's a new title yeah. you have. Yes, we made it official Sunday after Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. We got married. You were there. Yeah, it was an absolutely beautiful <laughs> ceremony. Somehow I got sat right in the front row next to your mom, <laughs> even though I was just about the tallest person there. So I didn't feel so bad when we were sitting down, but every time we stood up, I was like, no one can see anything. Yeah, I don't really understand what the seatings were because it was just like... I think they started at the back and just worked forward because we rolled in like... Kind of not, we weren't the last ones to roll in, but yeah. we, we didn't want to like way get there early. <laughs> so we show up and they just like keep leading us to the front and then they show us the seats. And I think Chris, my wife, she literally <laughs> said, she's like, are you sure this is where we're supposed to be? Because I'm pretty sure this is for like the family. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was, they had, there were only two seats reserved, one for my mother and one for Leah's mother. And so like everything else was just kind of like, where, the hell, right. where was Leah's mother sitting? I didn't oh, even see her. She was supposed to sit yeah. beside my mother, but. She, she did not. There was a child there. Yes, that, that's, what, that's <laughs> what happened. The couple with the two children, they had to like, the one little girl was antsy. So the father had to like get to where he could get out and get her moved quickly so he sat down it isn't <laughs> parenthood fun <laughs> don't worry buddy you're you're about to find out oh yeah. man yeah this is gonna be all sorts of fun but no it was a beautiful ceremony it was an absolute great time i mean they, they, thanks for inviting us out yep. and thank you for thank providing you. the beer that i had to practically climb over the saxophone player to get to that was funny well first of all they didn't have like was it friday <coughs> i think it was when lee uh, no it was thursday i was like um is there anybody buying any beer? And Leah was like, huh. No, let me check with my mother. So they were like, no, they don't know what to really get. So I was like, all I right. mean, in fairness, <laughs> there were only like six people there drinking beer. And yes. aside from you, all of them were pale as fuck. So <laughs> it was like yeah. six white people drinking beer and everybody else was like, yeah, break open the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that was the one thing. She was like, well, it's not, this is not really a beer crowd. I was like, all right, what we're going to do. By just- the way, your new sister-in-law is hilarious. Yes. Yes, Leah is scared that like at the like the baby shower sometime in January that you will end up sitting with her and Oh, we are both gonna be hanging from the rafters. She <laughs> yes. is hysterical. <laughs> All right, so we should probably actually get on to oh, something yeah, related some beer. to beer considering that uh, I'm on a pretty bad time budget today. <laughs> That's right, guys. Uh we record on the fly. Yes. Uh yeah. And we will talk about probably not this episode, but later. We are trying to come up with plans to make this more consistent and more professional and more lucrative for us. So we had grand plans getting into this. Uh, something around making a professional, regularly released, uh, well-managed podcast. And then really? I had a kid. That was my first mistake. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we did have plans. We just didn't do any of them. <laughs> so I had a kid. That was the first problem. We both started new jobs. That was the second problem. Yeah. We both moved into new houses. That was the third problem. And... This, this yeah. jackass over here is having a kid in January. I, I was yeah. motioning at Ryan. I know none of you at home <laughs> can see that, but we're the only two in the room, so pretty and easy supposition to make. That's another idea I have for the future is video, maybe. I mean, I do have a face for radio, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we've been... I think, yeah, we had ideas. At fir- well, first, our first idea was, let's just see if we can do this. <laughs> yes, that, that was literally just getting this made was the first idea. And from there, it's kind of evolved into something different. Yeah. So the last year is, yeah, we're coming up with a, I kind of want to plan like a one-year anniversary episode sometime in January or February, and then we'll... And ironically, yeah. I really felt like we we have been getting a really good 
handle and flow to things right around the time that all of our big major life events yeah. started. We figured happening. out what we were doing right around the time everything like blew up for us. But yeah, why didn't you personally. hit me up two years ago about doing <laughs> yeah. this? Way to go! But we, Dick. I think, you know, with our babies, hopefully we'll be old enough. Hopefully, by the next the next year, we, everything will. This calm is a down. false and arrogant yeah. hope, but yes, yes, it is. <laughs> but hopefully, by the next year, this time next year, we will be a fully pro- uh, fully professionalized, but a professionalized. We'll seem like we know what we're doing, which clearly we do not. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, <laughs> how about we go ahead and uh, get this going? Sure. Uh, start us off with the story, Ryan. Let's see which one. Uh, we'll do tariffs tapping into U.S. craft beer industry. Tariffs? Those haven't been in the news lately yeah. at all. Basically, it's just there have been, since the trade war that the president started with Europe and China. Shots our, fired. <laughs> with our... And Canada are like our three, the three places that we like. Welcome sell to C-SPAN B. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the B is for beer. <laughs> Since that trade war started, one of the things that one of the things that was included in that trade war is steel and aluminum. What are the two metals that craft beer uses most? Steel and aluminum. So while on one hand the tariffs have helped the steel and aluminum industry, kind of. <coughs> It has not done a very good thing for the companies that use lots of steel and aluminum, especially when they have very, 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 very thin margins. And I think the most recent analysis from the Beer Institute came out. It essentially not only undid all of the positive gains that the tax cuts were able to achieve for the beer industry, it wound yeah. up actually reversing and then some, Yeah, uh, which is is alarming to say the least. And not only that, it's had a huge impact on just, you know, things like canning costs, which, I mean, packaging was already starting to become a bit of a declining industry anyways, but canning has become a lot more expensive. Uh, American keg manufacturers have gone out of business. So it it has really created a lot of problems within our specific, you know, focus of the show, which is to say beer and whatever else pops into (laughs) me and Ryan's head during the course of the episode. And just reading this article, which is from VOA News out of Wisconsin, the effects of this tariff hit not only brewers, but they also talked to Farmers for Free Trade, which who have the same problem, but just because, again, this, everything that farmers and brewers and most manufacturer, most end point manufacturers use, has the price of it has gone up because of these tariffs. And was it Dan, his name, Dan Cat, who just opened Good City Brewing in 2016? <laughs> like this is the opening of the article. When Dan Cat opened Good City Brewing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2016, a presidential election year, a trade war between the Trump administration and China was the furthest thing from his mind. And he goes on to say, he's like, we always plan to can our products. I don't think necessarily we expected to have our single biggest expense, packaging <laughs> materials, to be affected by tariffs. This is one of those things that... that kind of going back to what we segued into at the beginning of this podcast is one of the things I want to concentrate on for the articles and news that I do next year is how the things not necessarily within craft beer actually affect craft beer and its long-term growth and long-term viability. Because these are the connection points that most people don't even think about. Yeah. And honestly, I do think it'd be kind of fun for us to do, like, next year's episodes, New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Like, things we would really like to talk about, like to focus on, and stories that we'd like to watch in the coming year. But, I mean, it is one of those things, like, 
the steel and aluminum tariffs, there are very few industries that have been so directly affected yes. by it as craft beer and just beer in general, because yeah. it's definitely really hitting the uh, the domestics and all the major producers. You know who is laughing their way to the bank right now? Glass bottle manufacturers, yeah. <laughs> PET bottle manufacturers, who are finally getting looked at seriously. I mean, we have uh, one brewery right here in town who we've had on the show, Old Mech, who has PET bottles, I know for a fact, and they will go unnamed. At least one other has looked into it, and I can't blame them. I mean, yeah. they are a perfectly valid packaging type, and if the price of canning is going up and the industry has started to look at glass bottles as being suspect, especially as it's become more difficult to recycle glass in recent years... I, I can't fault anybody for looking towards PET as kind of the packaging of the future. Yes, yeah, so if you can figure out a way to cut your packaging cost per unit by two cents a unit, that goes up huge. real quick. And we've yeah. talked about the fact that the uh, when it comes to packaging for most breweries, that's essentially just advertising. They're yeah. selling it at, at minimal margins, and even for uh, you know in-point retailers like bottle shops. The packaging is mostly there to drive, contrary to what their actual mercantile license might suggest, <laughs> the packaging is there to drive the draft or yes. to you know, essentially continue the sales for people who aren't going to be able to stick around and have a beer. It is not a primary you know, profit yeah. motivator. I mean, the, the markup differential is more yeah. than double between package and draft. It's not even close. Yeah, hidden secret, everybody, if you open a restaurant slash bar, put a open a restaurant put a bar in it because that's where you're going to make your money yep yep that is yeah if you were doing <laughs> the margins compared to food way high margins <laughs> compared to package way, way high, high. Uh, yeah. the only difference is packaged wine you, yeah, you can wine. make <laughs> so much money off the package <laughs> if you have back. ever bought wine <laughs> out you have just gotten <laughs> absolutely screwed over i'm just telling you that right now don't get me wrong have your glass <laughs> have your glass but like believe me that it's it is obscene how much you are overpaying let's just put it this way if you go to some place like kind of where I work now and you go to the bar and you get a glass of wine I would say you would be better off just going to the shelf and buying that bottle of wine and drinking you it would at be the far bar. far better <laughs> off and not yeah and, and and draft wine the margins are even higher I mean that yeah. is amazing the amount you can make and like, we've really got off topic again but uh, uh, no, okay. I no. mean and hell but, yeah. I'm just gonna stump on beer for a moment because you know we might like that here but uh you know you can go grab a 12 ounce bottle of barley wine for four bucks I mean yeah. and that's that's after markup and yeah. you know that'll get you just as drunk with a higher quantity of to actual liquid, and it will cost you at minimum three dollars less. Yes. Yeah. 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 So just just saying, guys, you're overpaying for your wine. Just feel free to drink it. Yeah, I'm just ahead. saying. But yeah, you're over, if saying. you're buying wine by the glass in a restaurant, you're overpaying massively. And as long as you're comfortable with that, we're comfortable yeah. with that. Let's see. What do you got next for us? Um, I will go with former Blue Moon Brewmaster to release first THC infused beer. Dun dun dun! That wacky tobacky. Yeah, Keith Via from Molson Coors is basically he has figured out a way to do THC infused. Well, it's not beer. It's not beer because it's non-alcoholic. Yes, that, that is the key. Because a yeah. lot of the questions are, you know, how is this legal? Because even the places that do allow for recreational THC, there is a huge obstacle, and probably will be at least for the foreseeable future. I think we're both predicting. Marijuana is going to be legal in all 50 next, states next 10 years. Yeah, it's very, yeah, at least in the next THC and alcohol mixing probably won't happen, at least in our lifetimes. I mean, look at how, no. I mean, for loco, caffeine and alcohol you can't get approval on. There's no way in hell that people are going to, you know, be mixing THC and alcohol. So it's a non-alcoholic beer. It's basically a Blue Moon clone. Yes, yeah. 
And this article is actually really cool, but <coughs> I was just re- reading it. It's actually, it ta- goes into a lot of the economics of THC, marijuana, and, THC and beer, marijuana, and craft beer, and beer in general, which I'll get to. First, the beer that Keith Villa is creating will be sold at dispensaries for $9 for a 10-ounce bottle or $36 for a four-pack, which, wow, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those kind of prices, <laughs> now, now it's shooting across the bow now. <laughs> yeah. And let's see. Da, 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 da. They estimate that... The, I forgot who... Uh, the IRI analysts predict that the beer industry could lose up to $2 billion, but... As, as I read more of this article, questions started coming to me. First, is that binge drinking has this, has decreased in states where pot is legal. My first question is that, that is, is that actually bad? No, <laughs> I, 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 I think down. that's <laughs> definitely a plus. I mean, I, it, and we say that as people who, you know, love the beer industry, yeah. but, and craft beer for the most part doesn't really contribute a whole lot to that, binge drinking. That was my second question. How much does binge drinking actually affect craft beer? Because if you're drinking craft beer, you're probably not pounding... 10 or 12 beers at a time, unless you're... <laughs> if, if you're an absolute freaking champ, if that's <laughs> yeah, the case. That's true. And that's a waste of craft beer, but yeah, yeah. So this is, yeah, this all, this gets into one of the main questions I have about marijuana and specifically this beer, is how will it, how will it affect craft beer as a separate part of the beer industry from the macro beer? Because I think we're getting to a point with the beer industry, well, we, I think we're past that point where we really have to think about the beer industry as two, maybe almost three separate beer industries where you have one, you have Molson Coors, AB, well, AB InBev and all of its, everything that it owns. And then you have over here the craft beer industry. And then even within the craft beer industry, you have like delineations and demarcations between and I mean, I've even I've even written some articles about the fact that it is really hard to do analysis and use beer as a single catch-all yes. because the way that the consumer views products now, as much as we like to draw the distinction, as much as I know you and I personally draw the distinction yeah. between, for example, the high-end brands owned by ABI and or even say, for example, Blue Moon yeah. and genuine craft beer, the consumer does not. They lump it all under a, a specialty marketplace, a yes. specialty niche. However, they do view a very distinct difference between the Buds, the Keystones, um, and even things like Stella and all of those yeah. specialty beers. So it, when you look at, for example, there's a lot of talk recently about wine and spirits cutting into the market share of beer. And it's very, very true. You yes. know what it's not cutting into the market share of? Craft beer. Craft there's beer. virtually yeah. no loss by craft beer to uh, wine and spirits. And you can... It's easy to even bear out in the numbers. It's a it's a verifiable phrase. Craft yeah. beer has continued to grow, especially small and local craft beer has continued yes. to grow, as beer as a whole industry has continued to lose overall market share. Yeah. So all of that loss is coming primarily, and we'll we'll get to that in one of the articles I have, yeah. is coming uh, you know basically on the chin of the buds, the Bud Lights, the Millers, the Miller Lights. Uh, those are the ones who are really kind of taking the full force of those declines. Yeah. And so yeah. something like this, I do agree. It, it's it's going to cut into the beer industry as a whole. It'll definitely hit domestics first. Yeah, but this I is the first time that marijuana has directly competed with beer. Yeah, and in the past, you could still smoke a blunt and you know yes. pop a Sierra Nevada Pale at the same time. No one's going to be du- okay. I don't say it. 
nobody outside of Frat Boys is going to be double fisting one THC drink and one actual beer. So at this point, you know, most people only have one beverage at a time. So this kind of yeah. compete directly. It was already a potential fifteen percent um, cut in into the beer industry as marijuana becomes legal. Yeah. Things like this were inevitable. They were going to happen the moment that it was made legal, but they are a more direct competitor to things like beer. Yeah, and yeah, and that's actually one of the things that Via has said says in this article is that what he is creating is a more socially acceptable alternative to beer at a party. Which, to my question, is depends on what social circles you're running in and what parties you're at, because many of the parties I go to, yeah. I mean, they're still passing the <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially as it becomes legal, that attitude will change. Yeah. I think it's just, it's an alternative avenue. Um, marijuana has the advantage of being very easy to put in a lot of things. I yes. mean, the edibles industry yes. will grow. And if it works like most of these things do, it'll explode, expand. They'll put marijuana in everything, just like they did bacon a few years ago. And then it'll, and it'll settle, settle down. down. But it is going to carve a significant chunk out of all the other intoxicating substances which are currently on the market. Yeah, and this is—I don't know—I don't know if we said it on the air. I talked about it on the air, but it, this is—we might be at the point where we are at the beginning. We might be at the beginning of the end of macro beer as we know it, because first, marijuana. You better second, knock on some damn wood. Yeah, well. Yeah, uh, he had cheap pressed wood, <laughs> <laughs> but just because of the way the industry, way the industry is starting to go, first with marijuana and then also this explosion of craft pilsners and p- craft pale lagers, <coughs> people don't have to drink. You don't have to drink Bud Light or Bud Heavy to get your lager fix. It's becoming increasingly difficult to excuse drinking those. And yes. as the American culture, especially as America is, is becoming more youthful, is getting more into local culture, getting more into kind of the opposite of the 1950s kind of cultural identity where uh, the idea of a well-crafted product is more appealing than the idea of a mass-produced, mass-produced industrialized product, yeah. product which, it, you know, I'm, I'm not even going, this isn't even necessarily a critique on that attitude, but that was a relic of that ni- 1950s Americana culture. We've moved on to something that has a, more of an appreciation for the nuance of, of artisanal crafting. So, yeah, yeah it, it's it, definitely too early to call, and there are still very big risks to craft beer as an industry. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> but I think you're a lot more likely to see the specialty market homogenize and become just a facet of beer yeah. than you are to see it collapse at this point, which yeah. even about two years ago I think would have been premature to, to say out loud without, yes. you know, risking <laughs> like like risking pissing off the fates. Yeah. Uh, let's see. My last article has some has – on its face has very little to do with beer, but it's from the Thrillist in Portland from I think last week or two weeks ago, and it's by Kevin Alexander, and it's, it's titled "I Found the Best Burger Place in America and Then I Killed It." What Alexander did last year in 2017 was he basically traveled the whole country. Literally, he traveled the whole country because part of his motivation was he got tired of reading all these listicles that said this is the ten best. <laughs> ironic for somebody who's writing on Thrillist because that's yes. like half well, of what they do. That's kind of why he wanted to do this was because he's like, we keep putting out these listicles of the best bars in America, the best burgers in America, and like, I actually want to go out and do a real list where I go out and personally and eat hamburgers at all these places that are recommended to me 
and find the actual top 100 burgers in America. And he did it. God bless him, he did it. But <laughs> one of the things he found as after he published the article and it got out and people started reading it and going to these places, basically this kind of list, a lot of the, how do I want to put this, most of the places that he put on this list are these small mom and pop places. They're very small. They have, they concentrate just on the neighborhood and just the people that walk in traffic from the neighborhood. That's pretty much all their business. This article put them in the crosshairs of every hipster internet denizen who is looking for the who's looking to check things off of their Instagram and check things off of their Twitter feed that I've been to this place. And the one the place that was number one on the list has closed down because they got so inundated. Well, it when you read the article, there's other things that happened in this guy's personal life, but they got so inundated with people that it was like a five-hour wait just to get a table, to get a hamburger. The staff, which was, you know, part of the reason that they were so famous, their staff was nice, homey, good people. They were being so overworked. They were just, you know, being in a bar. When you're overworked, no matter how much customer service you love, so at some point somebody's going to say the wrong thing and you're just going to snap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that and that started happening, and he was writing a lot of these apology emails and apology letters and it, it, things spun out of control and the burger place closed down and the name of the burger place is Stanches in Portland but the thing Alexander did is he went to other burger places on that list and they had very similar stories from being in the top 10 that the owners were actually mad at him for putting putting them in this list because business was actually suffering from what was happening. And this has to do with beer because I read this article right when Cold Mountain came out. And oh, God. I like Cold Mountain. It's a good... For those of you from outside <laughs> of, of the American Southeast, uh, Cold Mountain is the Christmas ale that is put out by Highland Brewing every yeah. year. America's... America's Wow. North Carolina's uh, largest craft brewery. People literally will wait in line for this beer no matter where it comes out. Yeah. It is a massive release. It, if you throw on a half barrel of this, it'll be gone by the end of the day, guaranteed. Yeah. But the thing that always... When these kind of whales come out, because Cold Mountain <laughs> came out, and then Bourbon County just came out, and the things that annoys me the most about these beers coming out is how many people who don't really drink or support craft beer go out to find this these beers to drink the, well and it's not even to drink them it is to say that they have bought them and to say that they have drinking have drank them it's not to enjoy them it's not to support the breweries or support the industry it's just because this is an inter, this is an internet thing i'm supposed to do is buy this beer Take a picture of it, put it on my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and say, I bought this beer, you didn't, aren't I cool? And part of me, I think the reason I like this article is part of me, part of me does not like that attitude towards any kind of product, where you're doing it not because you want to enjoy it, but you're doing it because you want to impress other people and show how special you are, I guess, is my way of putting it. Unfortunately, that's a big part of our industry. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and do the first of several unpopular opinions today. <laughs> I disagree with everything you just said. Ah, cool. <laughs> so I guess from my standpoint, I, I see it as a, a bit... 
I don't know. I, I think this is another case of, of old men yelling at clouds because for my, for, yeah. I mean, for the people who are going out and yeah, they might be ticking those boxes, but by the same token, that derives enjoyment, pleasure, and a sense of worth for them. Who am I to judge what brings them happiness? Now, do I do it? <laughs> no. Do I think it's the right way to do it? No. Yeah. But it is driving business to, like, for all the complaints about, you know, Plenty of the younger gets so much uh, attention, so much press, it's turned it into an absolute mess. And, you know, it's this white whale and everybody's going out for it. Brings a ton of money into the community. It has made yeah. Russian R River and Vinny Chalerzo more, even if they complain about the results. So those burger owners who are complaining about all the business they got, now they might be the kind of people who would have preferred to stay small and just enjoy their yeah. life. If I was running a place like that, that's probably how I would as well. But. Yeah. A, there are ways to handle that kind of excessive demand. You set reservation lists. And is it something you necessarily want to have to do? No, but you have a business. There will yeah. be supply and demand. You made a damn good burger. And it's a little bit oligarchist to say, I want this to only be something that I, having discovered them myself, enjoyed. And I don't think that's any more or less elitist than the person who's a hipster and just going mm -hmm. online. And I got to check off all of the greatest burgers and say I had them. So. <laughs> I, I got no problem with it. I don't think it's that it's something I I would say that I just want pe myself and people like me to enjoy, but I want I guess it goes to the idea that I want people to enjoy and experience the thing that they're doing for the thing that they're doing, if that makes sense. So you're not it's this weird, yeah. Well, how I, it's also a little presumptive to say yeah. that all these people going to this burger place might not have just been really big burger fanatics that saw, hey, this, this is, is the, the best, best burger place, yeah. in America, and they did enjoy yeah. it that much. Bourbon County is a delicious beer. Are there better beers that you can find locally that aren't owned by a kaiju? Hell yes. <laughs> but there are people who buy it, and they sit, and they do enjoy it. And and yeah. are there people who are literally just doing it to be able to say that they had it? That's pretty much how I had Dark Lord, was just to be able to say that I had Dark Lord. Yeah. And do I think that any whale is worth waiting in line for or paying $80 a bottle for or, or going through any of the hoops that Westbrook wants you to go through? Love you guys. But, man, like, it's no beer. to get Mexicali. It really, it really is. <laughs> and, but, and it's delicious. It's fantastic. Is it worth it to me? No. Yeah. Um, do I think that a lot of the people who are jumping through those hoops are probably jumping through hoops they don't realize are unnecessary, that there are better alternatives? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's a little presumptive to say, you know, all these people, it, it'd be like people who say they go to, for example, I went to the Vatican a couple of years, uh, about four years ago, me and my wife on our honeymoon in Italy. Yeah. Way too crowded. So crowded, it was hard to find much enjoyment out of it. And I, my reaction was, you know, man, I wish there weren't so many people here that make this a lot more enjoyable. And that seems to so many people to be such a rational reaction. The problem is that's exactly what every other person there is thinking too. Yeah. So how do you decide who gets the privilege of seeing this? And it becomes a level where you almost have to assume a level of elitism or at least self-centrism to, to say, yeah, get rid of all these people. I just wish it was small again. Yeah. I wish it was small again. That way I could be the one who is enjoying it. Yeah. And it makes it tough. We we live in a very, very crowded world, and anytime you have something good, we live in a world where it's very easy to travel these days. Yeah. So, yeah, you got the best burger in America. There are people who are going to flock. And, like, I know I am the old man yelling at clouds for it to stop raining. But Oh, I'm not saying that you you are. I'm just saying that's how <laughs> oh, it no. seems to me. I'm rarely right about anything on oh, the no, show. I, <laughs> oh, trust me, I'm like, I know how, yeah, yeah. 
like I said, I know I'm kind of the old man yelling at clouds, but I think the, I don't want to say, the thing that worries me is how do we, especially the idea of the observer effect changing the thing you're observing. How do we... Oh. Wow, we're introducing scientific yeah. theory into We've the gone creation into of the cat and stuff like that. Are, are, are you about to launch a diatribe about how like, like, fa- like whales' quality changes with time? No, no. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it probably happens to an extent. Oh, uh, no. it depends on what the beer yeah, is. But, yeah, it depends yeah. on the beer. But it's just, I worry that in a culture and in a world with social media allows you to, as you said, to, as we've talked about, just enjoy... To find out things that you wouldn't maybe wouldn't have known about, and to find out this, about this great burger place over here that you wouldn't have known about normally. How does putting that information out for the world in general change that thing that you love? Like you love this okay. burger place because it's a small, cool little burger place. But once you tell so a sense of responsibility about, it, yeah. about you know, yeah, you know, what's our responsibility as people on the internet with some? level of uh we're influencers guys (laughs) and i think part of that is i mean you raised the question of uh, how do you avoid this becoming a bane rather than a boon and i think part of that is just the burden is on people in our position and more specifically people in, in even more influential positions to introduce other great alternatives. Yeah. We, we, due to, uh, you know, children, wedding, et cetera, we <laughs> miss doing our Bourbon County Alternative show this year, but yeah. uh, things like that introduce people to the options that, yeah, Lotus that might Sweden. be... Th- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be... Big Bad Baptist. I mean, I mean the, li- the list can go on. Actually, Mexicali. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> we could go all day. This would be a really quick show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's our... It, this guy introduced the best burger in the world. Well, maybe someone can introduce a list and say, hey, if you want the best, you know, mushroom and Swiss burger in the world, yeah. here is the option on that. Or if you want the best bison burger in the world here. Yeah. So now you've created a a marketplace where there are more specified alternatives. There, they, Yeah, this might be named the best burger in the world, but here are the other best burgers yeah. in the U.S. that are also worth going to. And yeah, it, it diversifies the experience for a lot of people and gives them the opportunity to not hyper-focus their attention on something. And I think that's, yeah, I kind of do want to do, whenever we have one of these whales come out, we should do the alternative to... At least ones that are owned by yeah. ABI. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, else so do they have? Speaking Just Bourbon uh, County, uh, Dark Angel. Yeah, it's not not many others. Yeah. Um, going back to uh to kind of the the effect of people over time, like thinking that the quality's changed. And I'm not going to name the beer by name, but there is a whale that when I moved down here, like I'd never heard of. It's very like North Carolina specific whale. I'll tell you off air. I think I know which one it and, is. But yeah. Like, I, the first time I had it, I was like, man, this isn't really, I don't think this is very good. And everybody was like, no, no, it used to be better. Now it's mostly hype, but it was better. Now that we're four <laughs> years further further into it, people are now saying, like, okay, it's not very good this year, but four years, years ago, ago it was better. Was awesome I was like, four no, years ago. no, I had it then. It sucked <laughs> then. Like, it's just not that good of a beer. It's mostly a hype machine. Oh yeah. man, which is, which is funny. Like like, and I, I'm not gonna call him out. I mean, you know, it might my particular tastes aren't aren't everybody's, but yeah, I've, I've not liked that beer from one point to the other. And everybody kept telling me, no, it used to be better. No, no. it didn't. <laughs> it's like it, it's no? been about about the same. <laughs> All right, next story that we got a little more positive one. Uh, you know, we Yay. were kind of kind of battling back and forth. Uh, keep it positive. Creature Comforts out of Athens, uh, fantastic brewery. Um, definitely one of those kind of paragons for. You know what a craft brewery should be. They've they've been very uh, responsible and and 
kind of a vocal proponent of the craft beer industry, particularly as opposed to, you know, big beer. Uh, so they are actually running the Get Comfortable campaign where they are doing a uh, Get Comfortable IPA. All the sales from that go towards their Get Comfortable fund, and that's mostly used yeah. for fighting hunger in Athens County. It's actually got one of the higher hunger rates in the country. So they're doing some excellent work there. Uh, if you are in an area where you're available to get that, definitely do. Uh, uh, all the proceeds from it go towards this fund, and they've been doing it for a couple of years now, doing some really, really good work. Yeah, that's yeah, it, and their beer is great. And I think another article you're going to talk about is Sierra Nevada and what they're doing with the campfire. Yeah, that was actually is, next yeah. up. Okay. So uh, anybody who has been following the news has surely seen the California wildfires, and you know our our thoughts and. Prayers are definitely with everybody out there who's been affected. But Sierra Nevada, uh, big California brewery, they've had, had some issues in their own backyard with uh, wildfires. They have been working. Well, they first announced they were just going to do uh, this IPA to help raise money yeah. to help. Uh, resilience IPA is what they're going to call yeah. it, to help raise money to help heal some of the wounds that have been caused by these wildfires, help uh, fix some of the damage help people in need, and it got such a great reaction. They now have more than 400 breweries have signed on, and Sierra Nevada is going to actually be providing the recipe for the Resilience IPA, giving it to these breweries as well as uh, some some of the trade groups as well as some of just the larger breweries are sending grain and and supplies to some of the smaller breweries so they are able to make this without having to you know sink themselves in the process. And the proceeds from that Resilience IPA are going to go towards that fund yeah. and helping California because right now, it, I mean, California is on fire and it has been terrible and tragic. Yeah, and one of the, actually, Leah's, one of her, probably her best friend, he was supposed to be coming to the wedding, but he lives in Malibu. And at one point... <laughs> And now Malibu was straight up on fire. I saw some of the pictures. His condo and town townhouse is fine, but at one point it was like, if you looked at a map, there was where he lives, then completely encircled around where he lives is fire. So, yeah. Holy, yeah. yeah that, that's but, just, yeah. It, it's sobering, and it's yeah. a problem we don't have on the East Coast to speak of. I mean, we've no. had... We have uh, hurricanes. Some, that's yeah, about it. I mean, we do have natural disasters. Tornadoes. But yeah, when it comes to you know wildfires, with yeah. rare, rare exception, not really an East Coast problem, and, yeah. and so it, it can be absolutely sobering to see you know what is going on out there. Uh, Russian River Brewing, I know, was one of the first ones to pleasure support. They had some major issues with wildfires. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Just last year? Yeah, last yeah, year. So they they were quick to jump on. So it's yeah. nice to see breweries banding together to help create a difference in the world. And by the way, people who don't understand why this happens in California, California is actually, for the most part, a desert. <laughs> yeah, it, it is basically <laughs> desert plus forests, and that that's pretty yeah. much California. Yeah, because one of those things, the reason that there's so much... Yeah, Los Angeles is a desert. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. It, yeah, there the, should not be anything. There, there should not be anything where Los Angeles actually is, and that's gonna that's a major problem for many, many different and environmental now, reasons. And now it's just a beer desert. Oh, shots fired! <laughs> it's getting better. Los Angeles has some good breweries yeah. finally. Yes, but there's one that we will not that shall go unnamed by run by a woman that who who is the person we shall not name on this show again because you detest her. I hate. <laughs> Hate her so much. <laughs> I almost like just mentioning her just to like see you just just get angry. I, my skin <laughs> crawls. Uh, well, I would never wish for anybody to be burned in the fire, but 
I know where the short list starts. If I was that bad of a person, which I am not. All right, next up, uh, Story Insider. Uh, so some of the sales data for Cider ha- came out um, tracking uh, Nielsen data, which you know is usually a better metric, I find, than IRI d- data, just because yeah. IRI data tracks the off-premise specifically, so it can give very useful data, but a lot of times it gets misconstrued, both for beer and cider, of representing the whole industry, especially yeah. for beer. IRI is a-, a mess because the industry has been trending more towards draft for a while now. Yeah. So... Uh, the sales of regional cider brands are now about a quarter of all cider sales, which is stupendously significant considering that Angry Orchard accounts for more than uh, 50% of all <laughs> cider sales in the U.S., and that's a national brand. That is just, Jesus, that is just yeah, amazing. Yeah, so a lot of smaller uh, you know, city-based and orchard-based uh Cideries are not necessarily the ones that are exploding, but regional ones. Ones, for example, like Ace Ciders or uh, Two Towns out of yeah. Oregon or uh, Austin East Ciders, who's yeah. doing some really great stuff. Yeah, really uh, Bold Rock right here in North Carolina and Virginia have really been exploding. Uh, Austin East Ciders grew 76% last year. Jesus. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Ace Cider, even though they've been around since 1993, they're one of the oldest commercial cideries in the U.S. I think they're the oldest one in California. They grew 38% last year. All right, regional cideries like that, let me give you some advice from people who are in the craft beer industry. That don't last. No, yeah, don't don't get overexcited, guys. Uh, Plan for the future. Uh, Please. Marijuana's coming. Uh, Bold Rock was also uh, growing double digits just right here in our own backyard. Uh, They actually outsell Devil's Backbone in Virginia. Which wow. yeah, that that's was a, a bit of a knock big. on it, yeah. Devil's <laughs> Backbone owned by Anheuser Busch. It's uh, their Virginia high end uh, representative, and they're based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Yep. They were a pretty big that's deal right in, in Virginia of, for a long time, and they outsell them in Virginia. Uh, and in North Carolina, they are outsold only by Angry mm. Orchard in this state. Uh, so it, it it's been kind of crazy to watch, and yeah. you know it sounds like kind of a no brainer, but I think it's because we've forgotten there are other. Major national cider brands that are owned by some of the big domestics. Yes, and those are not doing very well. Uh, Strongbow, uh, Stella Artois cider, uh, Smith and Forge, which is owned by Miller Coors. Stella Artois has cider. Oh, you did not know that? No. Oh, it is crap. But it, <laughs> it is relatively refined crap, but it is crap. Um, So all of those are suffering from double-digit declines right now. So the national cider brands are absolutely tanking. I know Woodchuck about two years ago fell flat on its face. Woodchuck, a.k.a. sugar with apples in it. You you, you mispronounce Angry Orchard. Uh, (laughs) So Angry Orchard is still doing fantastically, and one of the biggest drivers right now has actually been in the innovation category, of which Rosé is the obvious uh, strong candidate, even though Rosé Cider... um, So, guys, we're going to delve into Rosé Cider for a second here. It's not a thing. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) There is indeed a historical, traditional, and fantastic Rosé Cider made from apples that actually the insides are red. It's the coolest thing. If you've never seen it, Google it. Look it up. It's awesome. That probably is not what you're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I can almost guarantee yes. there are a handful of uh, orchard, like orchard-based cideries that are doing it. But for the most part, a rosé cider these days is just any pink freaking cider. So it could have beet in it, beets in it. It could have hibiscus in it. It could have rose hips in it. So it's a wide, wide range of flavors. So it's not even a style, but people go nuts for it. You, you make a pink drink and everybody loses their minds. Yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, because some of these ciders, I've had them, and they're like, okay. 
And some of them are even quite They're tasty, good. but I don't rose I'm, is not a style. Yeah. That's not a rose cider. That is a hibiscus and raspberry cider. And it's okay <laughs> to call it that. It might be delicious. I've yes. had some very, very good ones even right here in Charlotte, but I'm kind of wondering if anybody had a Rose hip hibiscus cider and called it a rose hip hibiscus cider and then like this it would year not went, sell worth a damn. They'd switch it to rose. And I wouldn't rose even fault them. <laughs> wouldn't even fault them. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate the hustle. I mean oh, no. yeah, it's what you have to do and yeah. it, it's crazy. I mean, R- Angry Orchard Rose is why Sam Adams is only barely considered a beer company anymore. It's also why Sam Adams is actually growing as a company. Period. Oh yeah, it is the <laughs> single biggest driver for their growth. So no, it, it's absolutely crazy. And uh, cider as a whole category is back up to six percent. It'd fallen down to about four. Uh, that's total market share. So that's very encouraging. I mean, yeah. and even compared to craft beer, I mean, you're looking, depending on year and estimate, around 20 to 25% total beer uh, uh, in terms of volume sold. Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of uh, dollar sold. So to have a 6% market share is significant, and to have that growing at such a, a great rate and have craft cider, even if it's you know, certain craft cideries that are the larger craft cideries, that's how craft beer started. It started yeah. with the Stones. It started with the Lagunitas. It started with the Sierra Nevada. And then now we're seeing that resurgence of smaller, locally made ones. Yeah. It'll get there. And it's nice to see because that's been such a roller coaster industry over the past few years. And like I said, kind of in jest, but in actual reality, I'd, what I hope for cider is that rose, I don't want to say rose becomes their IPA where it is the backbone of the industry because I actually don't want that to happen because, like you said, that's... <laughs> I would like I would love for single varietal, like, <laughs> yeah. cider, like cider Something apple like, yeah. ciders to become the, but, the standard, but it ain't. But what I do hope is that rosé gets people into <laughs> cider and they begin, and at least a significant portion of people begin a kind of journey into cider where they find, yeah, they find their local orchards and local small cideries that they can get, like, Single varietal stuff that they like that they can explore, or even a well-crafted spiced or fruited cider. There's nothing wrong with a fruited cider, but it's nice. And honestly, I'm okay with that because you don't have craft beer without Blue Moon. It's as simple as that. I may, you know, we can complain all we want, but we've talked about on the show before. Blue Moon brought more people into craft beer than any other single source because it introduced them to the idea that beer could taste different. Yeah, if you work in a bar that serves a lot of craft beer you're gonna have people that walk in what do you have that tastes like blue moon exactly oh all day every day i actually had a new one i had someone come in and ask me if we had something that tastes like shock top and for a second there it actually took me a second to process because no (laughs) one asked that everybody asked if you have something that tastes like blue moon shock top Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's basically it's the, the same. same thing. But, yeah. It took me a second. I was like, we shucked up. It's, it's been a it's, while since I've had shucked up. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just worse thing. Blue Moon. I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, we, we joke on Blue Moon. It's actually, of the major owned brands, it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 I mean, it's the original. It's basically the original. I mean, they basically just copied Hogarden. Yes, they did. So it's not half bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, do we have a uh, wit beer on right now that's called Blanche de Bruxelles, if you've never had it. It's uh, out of Belgium. Yeah. Which, contrary to popular belief, uh, there are no old Belgian wits. So if you're no, getting authentic Belgian wit from Belgium, it probably Bullshit. was created after American wits. Because um, yeah, American wits were what actually uh, saved yes. the soul. Hogarden and Seelis yes. is what created... Yeah, it was an extinct style. It was it was like Goza. If you're, and if you're having a, an authentic German Goza that's not Ritter Guts, then it's not an authentic... Authentic old school German Goza. It's every bit as authentic as Westbrook Goza. 
but no, it's Blunch de Bruxelles, and the tap handle, it's, it's, it's solid beer. This isn't us knocking the beer at yeah. all, but it, it, it don't lend it an unfair uh, aura of authenticity. It's not like you're drinking a old, an old Guza. Yeah, oh yeah, if, if you <laughs> got that, that is, that is, yes. yeah, traditional Lambic. I mean, th- those are something completely different, but it's, tap handle is like this little, like, yeah, cherub, like, <laughs> and we just call it naked baby beer and like i love giving that to people when they're like dude i want that one and i'm like so you, do you like blue moon no i hate blue moon mm-hmm. it's the same style but better um <laughs> i don't care it's got naked baby give it to me yes uh all right so going back to iri data getting away from naked cherubs uh peeing out beer <laughs> oh man the things we talk about on the show uh, so shipments of domestically brewed beer are down about 3% year to date, which is, that is significant. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I, oddly enough, the volumes that are actually being sold. So basically the sell through out of the wholesalers. So shipments is essentially what is being shipped from the suppliers, the breweries to their wholesalers. The, Sales to date, which is what is going from the wholesalers out to retailers or direct to market, uh, those have remained relatively flat. So essentially what this means is that there is more beer being, or less beer being sent out to the wholesalers, but people are buying about the same amount. Yeah. Well, I, this tells you a few things off the, off the nose, even if you didn't have any further granularity on the data. Uh <laughs> So there, there is some interesting granularity on the data. Most of that <laughs> loss is coming at the expense of domestic premium beers. To give yeah. you guys an idea of what qualifies as premium under this category, <laughs> Budweiser, Bud yes. Light, Miller, Miller Light, Coors, Coors Light, uh, Pabst. These are the domestic premium. Saw a 5% decline as a category over the course of year to date. That is huge considering, I yeah. mean, Bud Light has been showing precipitous declines, but we're talking 2 to 3%. To see yeah. category-wide, it dropping 5% is th- holy crap monumental. Think about it. That, Regardless of what we see on this podcast, that is still the, those beers are still the major driver of all beer sales. So if they're dropping at 5%, that's a huge chunk of beer sales. Yeah, that, that, just that is an absolute enormous <laughs> chunk. I mean, that is the bulk of all beer sold yes. in the U.S. So when you're talking a five percent decline, that's huge. Uh, craft beer, meanwhile, and this again is strictly off premise, which is one of the reasons why this number is a little misleading. Uh, we're up one point one percent total number over the course of the year is looking closer to about five yeah. percent um, because again, most of that drive is coming from. Uh, smaller craft breweries, and the actual numbers on that as well tend to exclude uh, the ones that do not fit the BA definition of craft beer, at least for on-premise sales. Off-premise yeah. lumps them all in together, yeah. which is probably a more accurate assessment yeah. of the niche. Uh, import sales are up 5.3%. No, this does not constitute St. Bernardus and West Vletteran. This is Corona. <laughs> corona like, it's Corona. I, like, I, it's, it's every, everything else is secondary. It's Corona, to yeah. a lesser extent Heineken, but it's Corona. Corona is doing awesome right now man yes, they, they, they are. are they are killing it like like corona has just been yeah. skyrocketing like this is actually some of the smallest growth they post over like the last five years and it's still just absolutely obscene growth uh <laughs> and uh sales of domestic super premium so that'd be like a Michelob ultra that bud platinum you know any of their like above premium brands as well as flavored malt beverages that's uh you know anything that that kind of masquerades as being you know uh, it hits the same category as beer, but is not. Yeah. Uh, 
I just love the term flavored malt beverages. Man, and it Shit. covers so much. Some of them don't even have malt too. Yeah. I, I think craft seltzers actually fit under uh, FMEs as yeah. for like when it, or FMBs when it comes to uh, the analysis. But yeah, those are up eleven percent over the same time period. Um, I know for FMBs, most of that was driven by craft seltzer. Well, because because yeah. craft. Uh, Craft sodas collapsed hard. Craft seltzer will probably rise and then level off. Yeah, well, craft soda had the problem that it was hard soda. Though. Hard, yeah, hard soda. It had the problem that it was all sugar, <laughs> and so so much sugar. Like you're not your father's root beer. You don't. You really didn't want to read the nutritional data on that. No, thing. it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, man, you think alcohol in general is terrible for you, but holy crap, um, they were cloyingly sweet. And and honestly, I'll, I'll tell you, like. I tend not to even non-alcoholic craft sodas. I tend not to drink. Um, have you yeah. had anything from Cannonboro out of South Carolina? Yes. Yeah. Dude, holy crap! There, there is finally, yeah. a, and I'm sure there are others, but that is a craft soda, craft soda works. I don't, I don't know what yeah, you call crafts, it, but yeah. they are really doing some good stuff. It's not super sweet. They're using yeah. botanicals and other yeah. like kind of things to keep it interesting. Their ginger beer is fantastic. Their uh, honey basil soda is delicious. Yeah, that's their bestseller. Oh my god, I, that, I would keep that in my fridge permanently. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I got on that. But <laughs> uh, So volume sales for uh, Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, and Heineken are down 2.2%, 3.1%, and 5.7%, respectively. Heineken is crashing stateside. They're killing it worldwide. They're actually yeah. uh, doing better in uh, Asia than almost anybody else over there, especially uh, when it comes to China. They've really invested heavily in. I have a theory uh, about that. Go ahead, sir. I think Heineken was the first, was the one beer that a lot of people... Who didn't want it? It was probably the first beer that if you didn't want to drink Bud or Miller, that was the beer you went to was Heineken. And I have a feeling craft beer has probably hit Heineken harder than any other importer into the United States for beer. And, and I don't necessarily disagree. And as uh, liquor in general has become cheaper and more yeah. readily accessible as well, the I mean, the African-American community was the biggest consumer stateside yeah, of, of Heineken, Heineken. Yep. and it is really switched to a liquor culture predominantly, so it, it that has to have hit it hard. Yeah. Um, I know they're still doing great abroad. Uh, the Caribbean, they still do fantastic, but yeah, it, it, it's they're definitely one of those co- uh, companies that's had a hard time competing in the at least the American Yeah. Landscape, which has been fascinating to see. Meanwhile, Constellation Brands, if you want to see somebody who is absolutely slaying it right now, uh, so you might know them better as the people who own Corona. the aforesaid Corona and also Modelo, which is doing great yes. as well. Pacifico, which weirdly is actually <laughs> doing pretty well right now. Uh, and they also own some craft beer brands, uh, Ballast Point and Funky Buddha being the most uh, well known of them. <laughs> Your favorite Funky Buddha. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Constellation Brain's absolutely killing it. They're up 12% year-to-date, which and is great. I mean, that is magnificent growth, and they, they've done it doing exactly what we said in one of our earliest shows that the craft beer industry should have been doing. They uh, marketed to un- underserved communities. They went straight after that Hispanic community, yeah. including with their craft beer, and yeah. have done a great job of it. Yeah. And, and I will say, get used to Constellation Brands being in your life because that thing we talked about that's going to happen over the next 10 years... Right now, they are probably of the major of the major beer players. They are number one in the marijuana market, are entering into the marijuana market when it's when it's fully legal in the United States. Yeah, if you, if you want a shortlist contender for a brand, we'll be talking about in the same light as a Miller Coors or a Budweiser in the next twenty five years. It'll be Constellation yeah. Brands. They would that like they're. 
their star is definitely shining right now, and it, it's been impressive from a business standpoint to watch. I mean, there's plenty of, of, of you know worries to be had there, but they have been very, very smart so far. Yeah, and have done a lot right. They overpaid for Ballast Point, but aside from that, they, <laughs> and and to their credit, they've leveraged it yeah. well and and have recovered well from it and have still managed to turn it into an asset. But it, it's it's been impressive bus- to watch. <laughs> they're good business people. They figured it. All right, we really screwed up over here. How do we fix this? Yeah, rather, <laughs> rather than letting that completely sink the company or, or trying to go into all 50 states. Green Flash mentioned. <laughs> Everybody take a shot. Uh, Boston Beer <laughs> Boston Beer Company is up 18.7%. Uh, here's a hint, guys. None of that's beer. Uh, <laughs> their beer is actually down right now. That is uh, their hard cider seltzers and spiked tea brands. I mean, Twisted Tea, I, I always forget how well Twisted Tea is doing. It's not up yeah. as much as Angry Orchard, but it is it is actually way up right now. Yeah, I um, mean, when you own, when you basically own a market with, yeah, that, name yeah. name a competitor to Twisted <laughs> Tea, and there there is a, a decent number of people who really enjoy it. Um, yeah. I I don't, don't associate with those people, <laughs> <laughs> but they do exist. Uh, whereas a lot of the national craft uh, craft breweries not doing great. It's about a fifty. I think it was a feast or famine has been kind of the yeah. uh, general uh, tone of major craft breweries right now. New Belgium Gambrinus, uh, Craft Brewer Alliance, and Deschutes all in pretty serious declines. I know Deschutes has been just in free fall this year, which is a shame for one of the great American breweries. They ex- they expanded two years too late. Yeah, they waited too long and then tried to do what Green Flash did. Just They waited just long enough not to collapse completely, but too long to actually have anything yeah. successful come out of it, which is an absolute shame. I got, yeah. I got a lot of love for that it's brand. And, and yeah. Black Butte Black is, Butte is one of my favorite beers. That is, that is one of the best. Uh, that is probably the best porter in America. Yeah. And it's pretty much the foundational porter in America. Uh, I mean, New Belgium's down 10% year to date. Uh, it's, it's, it's been kind of nuts. Lagunitas is up about 2%. Uh, and then you got some of them that are actually doing well. I mean, Canarchy's doing great. Stone Founders, Firestone Walker, Dogfish Head, and surprisingly, New Glarus is actually up yeah, double that was, digits. When I saw the list, that was when it surprised me. Yeah, like, yeah, kind of surprising. Because really, they don't really sell outside of like a three-state market, do they? But they are ubiquitous. I, and I use, yeah. I, I use the Sam Adams example a lot just because I moved down yeah. here from New England. You go to New England and literally that's, that's where you go. Like I've told people, you go to the diviest dive bar. They will have Bud, Bud Light, and three varieties of Sam Adams. <laughs> and and that and here in Charlotte, OMB is kind of like yeah. that. Like you will find Copper and Captain Jack anywhere you go in Charlotte. And, and if you don't, if you have an OMB handle and you do not have Copper and Captain Jack, be ready, be prepared to have someone just go. I'll have the Copper, like. Oh, they yeah. will just assume, yeah, yeah. and and <laughs> no, that kind of cover. penetration, like New Glarus has that throughout the Upper Midwest area, yeah. uh, and so it is kind of kind of crazy being down here and not even yeah. having access to it to uh, see them growing so much and be that high of volume. Yeah. Um, the one that I found absolutely insane, all day IPA off premise up thirty four percent this year, and that's after last year was was similar numbers. It's we actually last year was like sixty percent. It's crazy. We run through cases of that. It's unbelievable. It's like water. And and I it's I'm not even finding fault. It is a spectacular a beer. beer. And it's its price point is good. It's yep. well made. It is a perfect everyday beer. The yep. name is appropriate. Thirty-four percent after a year. I think it was something like sixty percent growth last year. Like that is the the craft beer of America, if you kind of gotta pick yeah. one right now. It's that or Sierra Pale. Um, yep. which is just absolutely crazy to watch. And IPAs are still the largest uh, product type category to make up about uh, 13% of all sales. Uh, it's, 
unsurprising, it's actually a little lower than I thought it'd be. Um, whereas, you know, the fizzy yellows are definitely gaining speed as they have been I've, for a while now. Yeah, I was going to say, I have a feeling the craft lager explosion has started to eat into the IPA dominance. I'd be curious if it's share. eating into IPA. I, I'd be curious if it's a matter of total growth and it's eating into yeah. IPA or if it's I just think, growing yeah. itself and so the market shares are getting yeah, you know, I a think little it's, thrown yeah, off. I think it's just even, yeah, like you said, balancing out the market share where people, all the people who drink, who love IPAs have not, that number has stayed the same and probably grown a little bit, but the market share of craft lagers coming into the market in the last 24 to 18 months has started just to, that's just grown, so it's like kept this number where it is, and that number's grown. So, what I'll be interested to see is if uh, sales to volume ratios start. If, if people, there's a strong tendency in craft beer for people to always be predicting the collapse of craft beer is right around the corner. Um, that was actually the first blog post I ever wrote was about that tendency, uh, and it for the most part it's proven to be unwarranted. But uh, when you're a nail, you're always waiting for the hammer to hit you, and we've, we've got to yeah, grow out of great, that. <laughs> great quote. Uh, but guys, Atlas is fine. His shoulders are strong. He ain't dropping the sky, but it's, it's, uh, I'd be curious because as craft loggers and, you know, craft pilsners, blonde ales become a increasingly large part of craft offerings, the volume to dollar ratio is going to skew. So people yeah. are going to see the, uh, dollar sales not grow that fast. And I, I, I have a feeling there is going to be a bit of a panic about that. Yeah. And really what They're you have not, to understand <laughs> things like, you know, the volumes, You're not going to notice the number of units has gone up, but the dollar sales has kind of like yeah, leveled out Yeah, because 15 <laughs> packs. I mean, you think about it, the actual, you know, per 12 per ounce, uh, on a 15 pack of, you know, Highland Pilsner is going to be significantly less yeah. than the per ounce on, for example, a trillium four pack. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that'll be coming up here momentarily. Segway alert. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, speaking of Trillium, <laughs> they've uh, yeah. gotten into a little bit of fire over the last few days on Beer Advocate. A former employee anonymously posted a series of accusations basically saying that the employees at Trillium have gone from $8 an hour down to $5 an hour, accuse them of, instead of uh, tequila barrel aging some of their beers, uh, just pouring tequila in it to to give it that tequila flavor. Of all the things that they've talked about, that's the only thing that really, truly bothers me. <laughs> it truly bothers me, but by the same token, if you actually read the, have you actually read the original no. posts? The way it's written, it sounded a lot more like this person, and I mean, I'm even just going off the text. I'm not even really <laughs> extrapolating. It sounded like they went to the GM, said, what kind of tequila barrels are we using? A customer's asking. He said, I don't know, make something up. And they were speculating. speculating. And Because I read that this morning. Because uh, I, okay. I had read the same thing everybody else does. That makes sense. And Trillium yeah. hasn't commented on it. I'm not saying they aren't. I'm just saying that even if you read the original text, He's it not seems really more saying, like yeah. a speculation as opposed to his actual very direct accusations about pay. Which it could also be true that he he has no idea what they've gotten tequila barrels from multiple different people. So if I'm like, a GM of a very, very busy tap room and someone's asked me what barrels we're using and yeah. probably the brewer's gone home for the day, I, GMs in a tap room have no, no idea, idea what, what kind of barrel, unless it's yeah. labeled on the description, they have no idea. And like so I said, it could you, be anything. Yeah. Like I said, you get them from multiple sources and it could be Jose Cuervo, it could be, you know, it could be. Yeah, yeah, it might be single tequila. source. Yeah. You might be, you know, sourcing from multiple locations, and some some do single source, and a lot of times they'll declare, you know, this is, a, yeah. you know, uh, Woodford Reserve barrels, yeah. or you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, they'll they'll na high west barrels. Yeah, but like you said, yeah, he's a GM. Yeah, he's a GM of the tab room. He's like he's focused I on running. The yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. 
<laughs> yeah, it says tequila barrel age. Just tell them something to make them happy, yeah. which is still a, a shady move. But like that's in the scheme of things, that's extremely minor. Stress yeah. out manager makes a judgment call to leave a customer <laughs> feeling happy. Okay, yeah. uh, not gonna <laughs> rake them over the coals for that. So the yeah. bigger story here is that Trillium's employees. So so to give you a little background on the story. Trillium has three locations. They have a part-time uh, beer garden that pops up seasonally. They also have their original location in Canton, and then they have their new location in Fort, uh, was Fort Point uh, that has opened relatively recently. And the accusation was that people who were moving from their original location with experience, had been there for years, going to the Fort Point location, took a three, were offered a job doing the same thing but with a $3 pay decrease, which that was from $8 an hour to $5 an hour. And a lot of people, yeah. this is about where they stop reading the story and they get they that sticker shock. They don't shock. get the next part of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, A, so, okay. So to do the same job at this new location and new employees who used to start at $8 an hour are now starting at $5 an hour. Yeah. So these are tipped employees. Yes. And this is where I think a lot of people in America don't realize the how... Tipping tips work. How tips work. <laughs> Basically. So for some clarification, the minimum wage for tipped employees in the state of Massachusetts is $3.75, which is actually higher than some other states. Yes. Yeah. It's actually higher than North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, so it's higher than a lot of other states, and they were offering them originally $8 an hour in addition to their tips, which the idea of even paying a tipped employee a wage is essentially to cover payroll taxes. Yeah. So they were actually being paid very, very well. <laughs> yes. Plus, Trillium actually offers benefits and a matched 401k to their full-time employees. Yeah. Like, okay, just a heads up, guys. This is going to be a very unpopular <laughs> opinion segment, and I know I'm going to catch flag for it, but but I've given this a It doesn't even really need nearly as much thought as I've given it because it, it's... So they drop... <laughs> These employees are already, even being dropped down to $5 an hour, they're getting paid above and beyond yes. the state rate, which, okay, I can see the argument that you should pay your people a living wage. Yeah. But tipped employees, I don't think people realize how much you can actually make off of tips, yeah. especially in the hyper-busy environment that you'd be getting out of a place like Trillium. Yeah. A lot of these employees are probably... dollars an hour. Yeah, 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 20 to 30, yeah, 25 to 30 an hour men. Yeah, I'd say probably, plus yeah. benefits, plus benefits, That's um, really and, a, good and cash tips were probably undeclared, so they're probably not even paying taxes on it. So <laughs> we're talking, we're not talking. This is a, I'm not even starting a minimum wage debate. This isn't talking a McDonald's worker trying to feed their family, like yeah. a single mom trying to feed their family. This is workers who are probably making more than you. Yeah, like uh, honestly, if we're they're, talking your average person listening to this episode, probably making more than you, probably making more than the brewer. There's what there's a reason why people or at least equivalent. Well, people who are good bartenders love being good bartenders. They get paid a lot of money. They may not have the job security, but that a lot of people. May but have. being a full time employee with benefits, that, they yeah. even have a decent. Like they might not yeah. have the wage security, but they have a good deal of security. And a place like Trillium does well enough to, yeah. to where they're doing good. Um, so the big issue here was those longtime employees did get dropped from eight to five, and the owners of Trillium said that was more of an an error of accounting. They did yeah. all the employees at the new location. I don't know if that's true, but that one I could see. Small business owner, first time business owner. Yeah, that's a fairly minor thing. They've since bumped them all back up to eight, yeah. who who had been there pre existing, um, back up to their original salaries. Uh, and the bigger issue here, and this is where I do think Trillium made a huge mistake, is their retail workers. Yeah, that was were yeah. tipped. So 
the retail workers are the people that the way Trillium works is they have like a primary tap room and then they have an area where they sell off premise to go. Yeah. They're off premise to go people, just people standing behind the counter just handing you a can or handing you a four pack. We're being Include, we're, yeah. we're yeah we're being included among tipped employees so they they were only making that five dollars an hour or even that eight dollars an hour plus whatever tips they were getting which at that point no one tips on retail and yeah. I can't even fault them someone is just turning around handing and me a four pack why am I tipping I work yeah. in a tip based industry and I wouldn't be tipping them yeah. that's not to be expected that's not the type of job which is yeah. tip based and so I think there was a very fair argument there and and I definitely and they've since said, which they should have realized before they ever did yeah. it, probably not cool guys. Yeah. That was something you should have been paying those people regular minimum wage. Yeah. They should have had an yeah. hourly rate. And and some yeah. of the counter arguments have been, you know, there we because they did used to have a flat wage uh, system. Some of the other, like Lawson's Finest, has a flat wage system. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. I guarantee you that the bartenders at Trillium make more than the bartenders at Lawson's off of tips. Because yeah. Lawson's does not accept tips. They have a flat wage system. All tips go to charity. Guarantee you that the bartenders at Trillium make, make more, more than the bartenders yeah. at Lawson's Finest. So I... I can get some of the irritation on those two couple of specific points, but you're seeing Trillium get roasted alive for this. This is a case of, like you said, people read the first couple of sentences and decided Trillium was shit, and the internet does what the internet does, and that's, yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> that's it, all that happened. It was incredible to see happen. I mean, It happens like, every couple of weeks in... Many different industries, many different on many oh, yeah. different subjects. And people Trillium's saw eight dollars an hour, and they were like, "Oh, they're already paying them low." They saw it drop to five. They're like, "Now they're paying them an unconscionable yeah. amount," and and they're charging so much for for you know a, a four pack. And okay, Trillium's overpriced. I'll say it. They, they, yes, it their beer yeah. is magnificent. It is incredible. It's not worth twenty eight dollars a four pack. But that twenty eight dollars a four pack, you know, the counter argument be well, they should be able to pay their workers even better. Well. All those employees at Fort Point don't have a job if that $28 a four-pack isn't going towards funding a new location. So it becomes a a cost-benefit of, yeah, they could pay the 50 employees they have at their original location a better wage, or they can employ another 50 people. Again, all these people are making good money, short of the retail people, and that situation is not going to get rectified. Yeah. So I, I think Trillium has gotten absolutely unfairly hit here i think they've yeah. realized the mistake on the retail side i i think that was a good call out other than that yeah the internet did what the internet did <laughs> yeah that's kind of why i didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it because i first saw it on twitter which is probably the worst place to like oh read <laughs> twitter is the worst place to get your news if you're getting your news from twitter and <laughs> at least follow a link if they provide yeah. it but the, twitter is yeah. the worst place in the world to get news that's how i actually do my news on twitter is like all right something happened let me see if i can go find like instantaneous updates of what happened on twitter if not then i go to like a real news source and read what's actually going on how dare you sir <laughs> All right, so leaving that story behind, I just yeah. Just, now that we've exonerated Trillium and our inbox is already filling up with people being angry about it, uh, last story I got for the day: uh, Canarchy bought Lexington Avenue Brewery right here in North Carolina, out in Asheville. Uh, have you been to Lexington Avenue? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a really nice, nice location. location. Beautiful in nice there. Spot, yeah, yeah, beer good solid. Food. Good, really good food. Yeah. Um, the yeah, the actual placement location, like right there um, on Lexington Ave, is great. Yep. Uh, so they're closing Lexington Avenue Brewery, <laughs> but they're replacing it with a new concept, which the collaboratory. Actually, the collaboratory is that not the best name ever? Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I, like I, I was just tickled with that. I'm gonna say like 
Kenarchy is doing things that, and we talked about Constellation as being the next, probably the the company that is best positioned to take over when ABI and finally falters enough. But Kenarchy has quietly done <coughs> a lot of really good work and a lot of really good made a lot of really good business decisions on how they want to grow where they want to grow and how they want to take their company forward. And this is just another case of them. They found a property that was going to be, I have a feeling that was, they probably found a property that had been quietly reaching out to tell people that we're going to close. And would you like to take over the spot? They found it in a, in the, and he was uh, he already said that he was looking yeah. to get out of the brewery. He recently uh, the owner yeah. of uh, LAB recently yeah. had a kid, so he was he was looking to kind of divest himself divest, of yeah. his small business, and you know to have a space. So the basic concept is going to be this is a it's a true canarchy location. Which yeah. before they've had separate breweries for Oscar Blues for Cigar City. This will be a yeah. true place where all the canarchy places can find a home. They can collaborate yep. together, and honestly, it. Here's the real story here for me because this is a really cool concept. It's it's a fun thing, and this Fireman Capital has so far been one of the very few examples of a good VC doing yeah. good things and long term strategic thinking. Uh, but Canarchy is doing this in the same state that ABV Artisanal Brewing Ventures has set up their own shop right yep. here in Charlotte. Brewers at Four Thousand One Yancey, which is you know, Southern Tier and Victory, and, and also announced point. this week, this uh, last couple of weeks, Six Point, which is immediately, I think, as as of this weekend, moving into that same facility. Yeah. So, we are we have our little state has become <laughs> the battleground for what are the two kind of the craft beer concept of the future. Yes, we've we've talked to a yes. little about haven't haven't touched on seriously, but this idea of craft beer collectives, Voltron, uh, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, yeah, I'll say you Captain Planet, but that's way better. <laughs> oh, with all our beers combined, uh, so <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That made me so happy. Uh, it's actually oh, going to be Voltron versus the Power Rangers, dude. I'm not gonna lie, I watched that crossover. <laughs> Thirty-one years old, I watched the hell out of that crossover. Oh man, <laughs> but no, like we're we're seeing these two major collectives that really kind of represent the next stage yeah. in the development of craft beer as a business industry, yeah. uh, as opposed to just yay we like drinking craft beer, which is still definitely an element. And I, I have a feeling that these kind of collectives are really what's going to take over that yeah. middle space that's now occupied by the national breweries that are hurting so bad. Uh, because it allows them to diversify their portfolio, allows them to offer a lot of what those smaller local breweries are offering, but with under one house, one banner. Yeah. And they're setting up shop in North Carolina, and it's going to be fascinating to see how those relationships and that level of competition grows, because right now, Charlotte has... Uh, it's another thing we don't talk about often. Like Asheville is Beer City USA, and it was the, the birthplace of craft beer in North, North Carolina. Carolina. But Charlotte has really quickly established itself over the last few years as being a, not even a number two. It is 1B yeah. versus the 1A of Asheville for craft beer in North Carolina. And it's interesting to see a kind of uh, a, a place for both of these yeah. major collectives in one of those two areas. And what I'm interested in is seeing how, what other type, and we've talked about this before, but the co-op, I, co-op idea for smaller breweries, I think that's something that's going to start gaining traction, especially in places like Charlotte and like Asheville, where you you don't 
you want to stay independent from each other, but you want to use your collective collective buying economic power. power to yeah buy your malt and your hops and all the things that are your basically figure out how to make everything cheaper for yourself because these so you economies of scale yeah. do create the same problems of the economies of scale that these collectives can have create the same sort of problems for small craft breweries that domestic beer does yeah. in the sense that they're able to buy the same ingredients as you for much much cheaper yeah. they're able to do their logistics much much cheaper distribute it much much cheaper uh, just as it scales up so it does put them in a position where canarchy now has what like six seven breweries under their their yeah. banner right now and uh, Six a uh, person walks into, uh, for example, a bottle shop and says, "Hey, I can represent seven breweries. I can get you good product from yeah. seven breweries. I can support you for seven, seven breweries as a single individual brewery, and and I can do it at prices no one else can match." Yeah, that makes it really hard on small local brewers. So it does create this give take where where I think for the long term health of the industry, it's very very good, but it does create unique problems where yeah. something like a co op with collective buying power could be very valuable. And again, I think this goes back to another thing we talked about earlier in this show about the how craft beer itself, how beer as an industry has like two sectors, I would say, maybe three, but the craft beer sector within craft within beer is itself starting to shake itself out and delineate itself from, yeah, from the Canarchies and the ABV and then the Sierra Nevadas and the Lagunitas from, you know, the, like, not even, yeah, like the Duck Rabbits and the Foothills, not even really small breweries, but, you know, they're not quite big enough to really compete on that level, but they're also not, you know, they're not working on a 10-barrel system, basically. (laughs) Big enough to make a dent. Yeah. And it is uh, seven seven breweries. So it's Oscar Blues is the one everybody knows. Cigar City is probably the number two yeah. everybody knows. Uh, Deep, Deep Ellum's really the I other big one. I forget about Deep Ellum because that's which, mostly in Texas. And they're yeah. huge in Texas. Yeah. So like they're not they're probably the third most significant. But then they got uh, Perrin, Perrin, Squatters, Wasatch, and Three Weavers, yeah. all of which are a lot more regionally based. But yeah. it will be nice to be able to get some of those beers down here. Um, I've actually heard pretty good things about all of all their of beers. Yeah, yeah. Um, Perrin especially. <laughs> So that, that that'll it'll be fun. I'm not. Yeah. I'm actually. I'm. I'm very excited for this. I know there's a cautionary tone to what we're saying. Um, I know I particularly have kind of gone on record as saying I think these are a good thing for craft beer yeah. as a whole, even if they do create unique problems. Yeah, and like I said again, yeah, as a whole and for the future of the industry, for the craft beer industry, yes, it's good. But yeah, there are. It would. We will need to navigate this very carefully, and it would kind of help if the Brewers Association or state guilds took more of a... Or actually recognize the fact it's not 2010 anymore yeah. and that the nature of the industry has changed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would help yeah. a yeah. lot. Enormously. <laughs> All right, so what do you got for us as far as beer recommendations today? My beer recommendation is last night we took one of Leah's nieces out to Perry's over in North Lake, and I had the Death Before Disco from Left Hand Brewing. Really good porter. It's like just a nice, good, solid American style porter. It was. I feel like that's a good description. Of most yeah. of what Left Hand does, it's just yeah. take a style, make it, make it simple but perfectly done. Yes, Left Hand beer. Yeah, yeah. I will say it was a bit cold. I mean, yeah, the pour was a bit cold and I had to let it warm up to really taste it. But it was a good beer. It was a really good beer. Uh, yeah, I was as a cicerone and person who ran a bar i was not exactly happy with 
how everything was poured for me, but yeah, it was, it was still good. <laughs> I can just feel your eyes like <laughs> silently judging the person. Well, luckily, like, I didn't see, luckily, I didn't see the bartender there, pulling, right. but when I got it, I was like, there's no, there's no head on it because it's filled to the brim. It's ice cold. Yeah. Okay, I'll just let this sit here while I eat my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh, yeah. No, pretty much everything that they turn out is good. They are definitely one of those breweries. I just, yeah, yeah. I, I see something from, I know I'm not going to be disappointed yeah. no matter what it's it always is. A, yeah, and because of Leah's current condition, she will need to be drink, she will need to drink milk stouts in a couple, of, according, at least according to her. I'm just going by yeah, what she let, says. Let's let's. I, I've, <laughs> I've known well enough not to argue with a pregnant woman to not break into the science or lack yeah. thereof. There, so basically, but. when she wants Declan is here, she wants to drink milk stouts to help her production. And I'm like, okay, we'll just you'll just be drinking a lot of left hand milk stout then, <laughs> or we will. I mean, this is this is this is a minor. <laughs> yeah, you're full of shit. You're gonna be drinking a ton of a uh, ton of duck rabbit milk stout. You even had it at your wedding. That is, you're gonna have a fridge full of duck rabbit milk stout and like I don't know, like a small little section over there for the bottles of like milk. Yeah, you are absolutely full of shit. <laughs> hey, I'm not arguing with him. Like, okay, you sure you want to drink stout once? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually going to uh, go ahead and recommend, uh, just because we're coming up on time, I uh, recommend the Kvass by uh, Scratch Brewing out of Illinois. For those of you who have never had anything by Scratch, they are one of my, like, yes. Yo, yeah, yeah. Find easily, something by Scratch and drink it. Easy, and it'll run you. Like, their beer is expensive yeah. as hell. Because they do foraging. So, yeah, so yeah. almost all of what they make uses ingredients that are foraged on their farm. They're out in Ave, Illinois, which to give you an idea of where Ave, <laughs> Illinois is, it's in the middle of freaking nowhere. And their farm is mostly a forest. Yes. But they, they have an on-site bakery where they just do rustic breads. Um, little like open air fire pit. It's surrounded by like woods on all sides. It is stunningly beautiful. Like one of the most beautiful locations you could have a brewery. And most of their beer uses stuff from that area. So Kvass, to give people an idea of what Kvass is, it's kind of a, the national drink of, of Russia. And it's, it, it's kind of, I don't think it'll ever break big as far as beer is concerned, but it has gotten kind of a, a small following. Yeah. It's yeah. currently one of my favorite things in beer. Kvass is essentially you take bread, t- traditionally rye bread, but you can do it with basically any sort of bread. You toast it and you use that to do the mash, uh, maybe with some you know malt, uh, you know some malt uh, in addition to it. But you essentially mash cubed bread and use that to extract the sugars to actually do the fermentation. Now, if you're doing it traditionally too, you might either do an open air fermentation or use as uh, Scratch does their sourdough starter. So they use their yeah. in-house baked rustic rye bread with their own sourdough starter to do the fermentation, which for most people don't realize that. So bread yeast, you know, most people know beer uses yeast, bread uses yeast. They don't realize Man. bread yeast is a strain that yeah. is selected to not create much alcohol, but it is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's the same species yeah. as, you know, brewer's yeast. Um, and when you do a sourdough culture, essentially what you're doing is you do a wild fermentation. So you're getting some of the, the, uh, sex cerevisiae that you'd be getting just from the open air. A lot of times you'll get hints of bread, but you also get some lactobacillus. So what makes a sourdough bread sour is lacto. lacto. Same thing that makes a sour beer sour. So they do the sourdough culture and it gets you a real unique fermentation character. Uh, their kvass, I mean, I've had a few, few 
different kvasses from fantastic breweries around the country. Uh, Fontaflora right here in North Carolina does some really great ones. With uh, They have one that just came out uh, recently, Old World Levain, that uses uh, second-use strawberries. Really, really good. But, yeah, the, the kvass from scratch, it's, it's very simple. It's just rye bread, uh, caraway seeds, and a sourdough uh, culture, and it is spectacular. It results in something that is kind of complexly lightly sour, almost like Goza levels of sourness okay. my, with no salt or spicing in it. The caraway seeds lended a kind, and, and the rye bread lended a kind of earthy spiciness and a little bit of aromaticness that, that you would have more associate with bread than a, a beer. And it is just a spectacular, absolutely wonderful treat of a beer to enjoy. So I'd highly recommend people look it up. Like I said, you will be paying for it, but it is it is well worth it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as far as outside of beer, what do you got for us uh, entertainment-wise? Things have been interesting you. I've been, we have been watching The Final Table on Netflix. That's their new cooking competition show. So good. And I will explain it like this. It is if you take Iron Chef, kick it up, and kick it up like a couple of notches, then you take Parts Unknown and the travel, food travel idea, throw some of that in there, and then you take Chopped and kind of throw in the idea of of the competition of making it into some, it, it is kind of a really mashup yeah. of, of several different concepts. Yeah, it's and it's just big and it's good and it starts off with twenty four chefs and they're wheeling it down to two who will compete to get to the final table and the final table is a list of like the who's who of chefs around the world that you will just that yeah. And, I mean, it really is like name yeah. a famous chef that's not already got like a Food Network contract. And, and they're, they're pretty the much show. in there, and it, it is yeah. they they pull celebrities in to do the judging. I mean, yeah. it's and it's fun to see all these amazing chefs do like takes on some of the national yeah. dishes of some of these countries. Like the first episode, it's the only one I've seen so far, but I really really enjoyed it. Uh, they did tacos yeah. uh, for Mexico, and some of them, like one of the guys, hadn't had a taco since 1986. Yeah, one of the others, guy, yeah. a, a Scottish dude, had never had a taco. <laughs> And they have these, uh, you know, some of the Mexican celebrities as the judges, uh, as well as, you know, a, uh, a Mexican food critic. And yeah. one of the judges was just like, oh, my God, you're a taco virgin. <laughs> I was like, she said it like that's a thing. that like that, That's a normal thing that sometimes you just run into taco virgins. And uh, I but just yeah. thought that was the funniest thing. And I will say it's uh, we are, Lee and I have gotten to, we've gotten through the Brazil episode, which is, yeah. And what I'll just kind of tell you what happens is in the show, they pick a country, they pick a dish that represents that country, and you make that dish. Now, if you're in the bottom three, if you're in the top three, you move on. If you're in the bottom three, you have to come back, and the celebrity ju- the celebrity chef will come out and pick an ingredient, and you have to make one dish with that ingredient, and then you have to, in those in whichever is the worst dish of that three, they go home, and it's... It's a really good, really good show. And it's, as Leah said, this is like the most beautiful food I've ever seen in my life. Oh, the, the, Even plate, the, stuff the plating alone yeah. on stuff that they just threw together yeah. on a time limit. And they like they turn it out, and it's like, oh, I can see why these guys are yeah, These are the best there. chefs in the world. And I guess all these guys, like, you know, <laughs> double Michelin stars. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. James Beard Award winners. Um, and to see them all interacting is fun, too. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and recommend uh, a real quick one, uh, Box Lacrosse. 
just way out of nowhere. So most people are familiar with lacrosse, like, like field lacrosse. lacrosse. Yeah, so box lacrosse is indoor lacrosse. It takes place in, basically they take a hockey arena I and say, just I thought remove that was the hockey. ice. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so box lacrosse, they, they put it in, it takes place in a hockey stadium, but no ice, so it's just like flat surface. Um, and so imagine lacrosse, but with like, way harder hits even than hockey and like constantly because it's a tighter confines than a full Full size lacrosse field and you don't have the space behind the net the way you do in uh, traditional lacrosse so it's way less of the ball just flying off field and and having to do a throw in it's way less of them you know playing behind the net it is a very hard hitting sport and it's if you enjoy like hockey in general you will love box lacrosse because basically their equivalent it's not super well known, but there is a uh, National Lacrosse League. Yeah. The NLL is a, the major le- the major league of box <laughs> lacrosse. Yeah. Not to be confused with Major League Lacrosse, which is the it's, field lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an enormous, enormous amount of fun to watch. Uh, see if you can look up some games, and and it's one of those sports I just wish more people would watch because it, it's it's everything I love about hockey and everything I love about lacrosse just mashed up in a weird <laughs> like fusion mutant child. I actually like field lacrosse, and hopefully when the Greyhounds and the Independents move to Memorial Stadium, I'll be going to more matches, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, lacro- lacrosse is fun. I can Plus you can get Memorial Legion Stadium. beer. You can yeah. get Legion beer at Hounds games. Yeah. Yeah, which is, is great. Legion, make, Legion yeah. Bruin, Charlotte, North Carolina. Good yep. stuff. Ooh. And uh, you, <laughs> oh, you get Noda beer at Independence games. Can't go wrong. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's the show for the day. We appreciate you guys tuning on in. Uh, we should be having episodes on a little more of a regular basis. Uh, I, I promise our lives are getting settled these these holidays. That's so hard. Yeah. Like a, in, once I work on the editorial calendar, we will have a set calendar of yeah. things to do. So. And we'll have a New Year's resolutions episode and then further episodes about you know, and then the after future. like three weeks, we'll give up our New Year's resolutions and get fat again, like, uh, <laughs> like everybody we do else every, does. Yeah, like everybody else does that time of year. All right, guys, well, have a great day, and we appreciate you hanging out with us. Slot you.